Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Design Intervention Podcast, a fashion and design podcast hosted by two professionals in the industry. My name is Nicole Dela Cruz. And I'm Susan Baldwin. This week, we will be talking about our design process. So Nicole, why did we decide to do this this week on design process? So yesterday, which I'm exhausted from a little bit, by the (laughs) way, (laughs) we had a project that we did together. And as we were chatting the entire day, we came to the realization or not the realization, but we were just discussing how with everything there is a process. And when we were painting, your process was a little bit different than mine. which I was super grateful to and now knowing that. So just to give a little bit of backstory, we were painting cabinets that I've had stored away for 20 years because I knew that they would come in handy one day and now is the day. So literally we had to prime them, we had to paint them with special cabinet paint. But the thing was that I always had in my head that when you did the primer, that it like wasn't just a quick thing that it as good as the top coat was I thought my bottom coat had to be because I just thought that that made for a better end product and Susan literally was whipping through this (laughs) so I think coat (laughs) and it's so funny because you know I do a lot of painting uh you can see a lot on my my website I do a lot of uh, painted furniture pieces and I think it's just over time I think as a, as a designer and as an artist, everybody has their own process. And I tend to be a little bit more fluid. I'm like, just get it on, just get the coat on, and then we'll deal with, with the finished results. I think Nicole gets a little bit more anal and very specific, and she has to know exactly what she's doing going in. And I'm like, ah, oh, just, just whatever. It, it'll be great, because I'm like envisioning it in my head that it'll be great so I think I'm sorry if I freaked you out or no it was actually extremely helpful for me (laughs) because literally every time I'm painting a room or I'm taking something apart or doing something you know Susan will tell me oh I took apart my bed and I spray painted the whole thing and it's back together and I put the room back (laughs) together and it's the same damn day and I'm on three days painting a room and painting the molding and painting the train and I'm like how the hell are you done so fast this is why, <laughs> because she's whipping through it and just, it's fine. And okay. everything was, it, it's beautiful. It, and it was, it was so much faster than I would have ever <laughs> done it. I probably would have had two solid coats of the primer that there were no cabinet showing through. Because when you first put the primer on, it's kind of like a little blotchy. And that blotchiness kind of freaks me out. No, I think- was trying to fix it. You know, so currently I'm doing I'm doing another little furniture project. And let me tell you, even after so many times that I've been doing it, I get freaked out. Uh, you put a first coat of paint on something, you're like, oh, this looks horrible. But you know, because of the process, that that first coat isn't going to be the final and it's not going to be the finished results. So I think you have to just trust in the process. You have to trust in the steps <clears throat> and that if you do it methodically and you're, you know, listen, we did two coats of primer. We did two coats of top coat. You're doing a third coat. By the time you get to that fifth coat, nobody is seeing that first coat. Right. And for me, that was, it was a game changer because pretty much I never was freaked out as I was painting because (laughs) my primer looked just as good as paint. (laughs) But now I know 
it's not necessary. Okay. So that got us to having the conversation yesterday after spending the day that we both have design processes in the children's wear uh, industry. We both come out with the same product. The end result, we end up with the same, um, you know, uh, projects. However, Nicole's process may be different than my process, but the end results tend to get to where we need to be. So today we were going to talk about our individual processes. So Nicole, why don't you talk about yours? Since I think you're a little bit more methodical. I tend to be a little bit more fluid. Uh, I, I know you're very analytic on, on, their, on your steps and how you do it. So let me, right. let's, let's hear how you do it. So for me, and this was something that I developed over the years. And by the end, after being a children's designer for 22 years, I got it down to a science and I could pretty much do a group. I could do a project and get it done within basically two and a half days, I would say. So the first day, if I was given a project, I would typically meet with the merchandiser. So I'm just speaking at the last place that I was at, but I would meet with the merchandiser. Sometimes it would be the owner. You would get the project. They would explain to you who it was for, because it's always important to know who it's for, what the company is, who your competition is, how many pieces they need. Is it sets? Is it separates? Whatever the category is so that you can then get your plan. Once I would have all that information, I would then take that back. And then I always would ask, what's the deadline? Because I need to know the deadline. And sometimes they would say, oh, whenever you can have it, or they would say in a week or whatever. But I would always make sure to give myself three days. Because for me, I would then go back to my desk. I would start looking at the samples that I had that would work into whatever this new project was. I would start looking and researching online. So we would have a lot of storeboard samples from European market. We would have from the local market. And then there's your design resources online as far as all the stores that you can go to and the competitor. So if we were doing Walmart, I would look at other companies that also did Walmart product. If the category was, let's say, a dress board or a collection, then I would look to other online resources and what was happening. So you always want to look at your competitors, right? I always wanted to be up to date and see what else is out there already. And then basically for design, It's not like you're reinventing the wheel. It is what it is for me anyway. So I typically will just take components from all different things that I see that inspire me online. So what I would do those beginning date, that first day is I would start doing a Pinterest board and I would start just pinning anything that I thought was cute and pretty that I could use for this process, for this project. Then I would start pulling the main pieces together, whether it was a body or a top or a print or a color that I was going to basically formulate the group around. That first day, it was more of that research. And it was usually like a half a day that it would take me to do that first, getting my head in the mindset of this project. Then I would start pulling from old boards, because again, if you have a library where this is set up and you could pull your tops and your bodies, I would typically have to go back to old boards and start pulling either prints that I could rework to use for this project, or I would start pulling tops or leggings. And then I would start to formulate the pieces based off of what I saw. So that would be typically changing a sleeve or changing a ruffle or changing a hem, whatever it was. And I would start 
putting out those bodies. So if it was a separate group, for example, you might have two tops, you might have an outerwear piece, and then maybe you have a legging and a skirt. So if those were my pieces, I would start pulling what those pieces would be. I would start plugging in some colors. Typically, I had one merchandiser that was like, you can only use two colors and then your neutrals. So that kind of always stuck in my head. So typically I would have my neutrals as like a gray heather or a white or a black or whatever cream ivory. And then I would mix in whatever that other pop color would be, whether it's a pink or if it's depending on the season it is as well. So then I would start pulling together and start coloring it up. I would start pulling prints that I would plug in to the bodies. And then I've always worked with an artist. So Susan, you have a really strong art background where for a time you did your art yourself, right? Uh, yeah, so since I went to FIT for illustration, I did have that, but it's not my forte at this point. Um, right. Actually, I have an artist that I work with that I actually utilize her as my assistant designer because she has such a great design eye. Right. So if it was a project that I was working on myself, I would start drawing the bodies. If it was a project that I was having my assistant help me with, if she was free, I would have her drawing bodies at the same time I was drawing bodies for any new ones. And then I'd be plugging it together by that second day. So the first day was really the research and starting to put the bodies in. That second day is now when I would start passing it off to the artist. So the last artist that I worked with, I would start passing her so that she could start getting the art. She would start getting a feeling for what the group was going to look like. And then as she was working, I would then get ideas based off of what she was doing and how it was turning and looking. And then it kind of would be like a collaboration. By that next third day, I would take back whatever she did. And then I would start finalizing it, getting it to the point where it's all uh, tweaked and narrowed down to what the group is going to look like. She would finish up whatever art pieces. And then from that point, it would pretty much be presented to the merchandiser who then, or the owner, whoever it was, who would then have their input on if you needed to change anything or what the next step would be. So for me, it got down to like where it was that first day where you would just research stage then the next day you're starting to pull together it wouldn't be until that third day and it could be in the morning or the afternoon but it usually would be like that half first day a full day of working and then that half last day and I could have the group done so that for me wound up being what my process was no I think that over the years that process you were able to hone that process and have it really efficient to just those three days Um, I think that it depends on the project. I think it depends on the SKUs or the amount of of things. And usually it's not just one project you're working on. You're usually working on a couple of different groups at one time. So it's not just saying, hey, Nicole, it's fall, you know, fall season, work on one group. It's no, work on a collection, work on a category, work on this category, work on, you know, so you usually have two or three projects going on at one time. So, right. So what I would do, and that's how I think I got really fast at the end, is if I knew that I had leggings set to do, dresses to do, it would always be the same general three days per category. But then what would happen is we would get into a flow where when I was working on the new project, 
my artists would still be working and wrapping up the old project. So it right. kind of get into a flow. But I, and actually, I didn't realize until you're saying this now, but I wouldn't jump around. I would only focus on one thing at a time. And I think that that helped me to be really efficient now that I'm thinking about it. Mm -hmm. If I had a project, right. I would like whatever it was, say that you had, you knew that you had to do a legging set board or you knew you had to do a skirt or a dress or whatever. I would start one and I would finish my part of it. I would pass it to the artist and then I would take it back, finish it and be done. So, but what, when you passed it on, you wouldn't start on this, the other project. So for my process, if I had two or three projects, I would, I do jump around. I, I would yeah, I don't, start I don't it. Jump around. Well, but I think that I would be because, on to the next one, but then I would take it back and finish it. Okay. So I think my process is uh, probably just a little different in terms of when I'm starting in a season where the first thing that I'm looking at before I do anything is figure out my color palette. Before I do anything, I, I need to know what my color palette is. So like you had said, yeah, I didn't for, talk for, about that, but you right. talk about that because I do that too. <laughs> Well, before I even even think about trend or talk about bodies or categories, I want to know the colors for the season. And I think that there's color services out there. There's color portfolio. There's Hue Point. Uh, some of the retailers will give you a color palette. Um, and so I always like to start with my colors first. So I want to know what I'm dealing with. From there, I like to then give my artist a heads up on, because then if I have the color palette, then I can say, okay, we're designing for fall. Um, like, so currently right now, there's a huge trend in houndstooth. So I know that there's houndstooth. I know that there's some plaids. I know that there's some florals. Here is some ideas. So she has what to work with color, with a color palette. And then I'll give her some starting off points or she'll do some research and she'll just go on her own and start doing some art for me. And while that's happening, I'll start pulling bodies. I really like to work with a lot of um, bought samples, a lot of photos. I like to go on to the trend services, see what's going on there, what the retailers are doing. And I also, uh, you know, I formed this habit a few years ago and it's always been helpful. And you, you don't think that you really would do this in children's wear, but you look at the runway and you will always be right if you just look at the runway. I, I'll go to Vogue runway. I'll look at the current season. Um, and if you just scroll through the pictures, you'll see after a while, the common thread of what the high-end designers are doing. And not that we're, you know, hot couture here, but, you know, we're, we're doing a lot of mass market. But when you come to the table with that, with that knowledge of what's going on, you have like an empowerment as a designer to know what it is and and that's really what they're paying you for like you yes i think we've talked about it last week about how it was so important um how how our jobs have turned out to be more cat artists we're, we're sitting at the computer you know but i think that if you have that extra element of really having the pulse of what's going on out there you will always be in a better place so i'll look at that and then so while my artist is is coming up with a with patterns and uh, prints, I'll be drawing my bodies. Now, after 30 years of being in this industry, 
if I didn't have to draw one more body, I would be fine. So I had my assistant designer a few seasons ago start a library, a body library. So every season when I'm done, she takes out all the color, all the prints, and she gives me a design library. So I have a, a page for dresses, a page for short sleeve tops, long sleeve tops, pants, le leggings, you name it, skirts. So all I need to do is open up that file, find the most uh, common body that I need. And I'll, of course, you're going to need to tweak it, but you're not starting from scratch and you have a foundation. And this has been so huge for me. Also a brush library for your ruffles, for your ruching, for your buttons, for your for, for lace trims and so on and so forth. And it really helps to be efficient because you have your body library, you have your brush library, uh, you can compile your bodies together and then I could start coloring them up. My artist at this point will have prints for me, we'll put them together. Um, and a lot of times because I have an artist that is really strong, I could say here, take it, start coloring it up. She'll play around with it. And then I'll go on to my next project. So while she's working on that, I'll start my next project. And this way I'm usually working on two or three projects at a time. Okay. So that's my process. I mean, I guess I would be working on multiple, but from the, but not, I guess not the same components at the same time. So I would never be starting two projects at the same time. No, I don't think you could. I think that that would be really difficult. I think yeah. that uh, also, That's I think- what I was thinking in my head. But when you said like, so I would be on the concept stage of one, then I would pass it. Then I would go on to the more minutia stage. <laughs> and then I would go on to the final stage. So I think there well, were three stages for me. Right. And I think in this day and age, it's it's about how fast you can be. So yeah, you might get part of the thing for me too. I got burnt, I think, at Children's Apparel, looking to the older size ranges mm -hmm. and then being too edgy. So I think I had a lot of Nathan in my head about keeping it cute and young. So unless I was working on something that was an older size range, whereas you, I know, were trained a little bit differently, especially at the last place before HIS, right. where it was very much about what was trending in fashion and going on. And I think I got brainwashed a little bit by being at Children's Apparel and Nathan's way of doing business, where he really wanted you to see what was out there in the industry, what was successful, what was selling. And a lot of it was chasing someone else's tail. Mm. So it was kind of like, unless he saw it in the store, he didn't believe you. If you tried something new, you might get it in there. But for the most part, literally, I spent a lot of my day trying to figure out what would make him happy. And then when I was at HIS, it was trying to make, you know, Steve or the warm-up art. So it was kind of me trying to figure out someone else's head and what was going to make them happy at the same time, trying to get a little bit of my twist in there. I know. I think it's really difficult. And I think, uh, especially now with, you know, what's going on is we have less and less retailers mm -hmm. and we have the same amount of manufacturers that are designing products that mm -hmm. the competition is becoming really difficult. And so 
we have to come to the table with some kind of newness or some kind of twist, but it's a real fine line mm-hmm. because also the retailers are afraid and they don't want to go out on a limb and put into the store something that's not been tested. So, and for a that long be- time, there yeah. was also the whole issue with the buybacks where if you did put something in the store and it didn't sell, larger retailers like Macy's and I don't know which other ones, but I know Macy's was a huge problem that if it didn't sell and it was sitting in the store, they would then come back to the owners of the companies or the salespeople and say, this group didn't sell, we have to charge you back money. And then the company would actually have to pay back money for those goods. And if they didn't do it, then they wouldn't get in the store that next season. So it was really almost like blackmail. Well, I think that, uh, the term that they would have used or they use is a partnership. <laughs> yeah. They're partnering. And it's kind of like a, it's kind of like an overt, uh, like keyword for if this does, you know, you, you have to be buy yeah. this back or, you know, we need to, to be whole on this, you know? So I, I think that it is, it's, it's, we have to be really careful on what we, you know, we can present whatever, Right. But in reality, what will they buy? Right. You know, so I think that um, but it's important that we do show it because, you know, if you only show what you showed last year, because you know, that's what they're going to buy. And you know that that's what the the purchase is going to be on that. You're dead in the water. Mm-hmm. They know that. But it's like a whole song and dance. You have to show what you're capable of and that you have your finger on the pulse and we're like, for instance, I did um, short rompers for for holiday, and it was really a little out there. But we had to show it just to show that we understood what was going on. They didn't end up buying them, but it had to be part of the presentation because otherwise you look stale. And as a designer, I think it's really important that you would rather them say, "No, that's too designed or too too far out there." Than to say to you, it looks like last year, because then why do they need you? Yeah. So I have two funny stories. So one funny story is anytime I had a bestseller, I'm the first person to admit that was luck. There was no (laughs) crystal ball. There was nothing that I knew was going to work. There was one set that was a unicorn fur vest set. That was the gift that kept giving. And (laughs) it was repeated season after season. And honestly, it just it was luck. And I was just a little bit obsessed that season with unicorns and my childhood and it just worked. So that is one thing I have to say, as far as like bestsellers or things that actually work, I I don't think going into a season, you necessarily like, you'll have a strong opinion about something based off of what your thoughts are, if you love it or don't, and that you think it's super cute, but that doesn't mean that the whole world is going to think that it's cute. But a lot of times you do get lucky and you were right. But I think that it's very difficult to know what's going to be those bestsellers. And it is just luck. And then the other thing I have to say is that uh, a lot of times you'll try newness and you'll try to get things. And that was in the end what I would just say for everything. You know, my assistant would say to me, can we do this? And I would say, we could try. <laughs> that would be the running line. Like, yeah, we, could, we try. could try. I can't guarantee you it's going to get in, but we could try. Right. But I think that is. was, right. 
But a lot of times it doesn't get received. And then the best part is when you have that documentation of what you tried to do and someone else gets it in and it's the rock star, you could then pull it out and say, oh, remember this? I hated it. (laughs) Look at that. Someone else got it in. But I think it's also too, again, part of that process at the beginning stages when we're designing, we get to design what we want. Yes, that's and the it's best important. part. No, and it's important. I think that if we don't design what we want or what's really new out there and something that really speaks to us, everything else looks stale. Like I, I think it's to be inspired and to be motivated to do something and say, hey, look at this. Doesn't it look great? And they may not like it and it may not get through but you know as a designer you had that moment you know it's so funny I every time I'm somewhere and somebody be like oh so what do you do for a living and I'll say oh my I'm a children's wear designer and everybody's face always lights up that must be so much fun and I say listen being a children's wear designer is like any job it's 10% creative and 90% is paperwork and follow through and doing all the things that you may do in your job when, you know, of of a process. So I always say it's 10% is what I really live for for this job is that creative moment and that time in the beginning of each season when I can really just go wild and do what I want. It's so funny that you say that because so I never thought of it that way until you just said it. <laughs> and then when I went into interior design over and over, especially when I was listening to like multiple podcasts on interior design, it was repeated over and over that it was 10% design and 90% paperwork and follow up yeah. and ordering and dealing with customer service issues and blah, blah, blah. And I never thought of the children's industry as being that way, but you're actually right. And literally the best part of the season was the start of the new season where you were left alone. They pretty much would ignore you for weeks on end. You were able to just be creative. It would flow. You would get into that in the zone and that when you're in the zone, and I think I've heard other people speak about this when it comes to sports and comes to any kind of creative field, When you're in the zone, what happens is ideas flow to you without (laughs) you even trying to get them. But then there are days. Yes, there are days that you're stuck and nothing comes to you. So those (laughs) days when you're in the zone and you're cranking it out and you have idea upon idea, you have to kind of put some of those in your back pocket for the days that you're stuck and it's not coming to you and aren't inspired. And there's plenty of days like that, but the days that you're actually in that zone in the beginning of the season, especially, and you have all the new samples and all the new colors and the trends and the new fabrics, and you're just being creative and they leave you alone to just do what you want to do. That is the most beautiful part or it was for me well it doesn't last because usually again (laughs) uh, and I had just stated this before everybody wants to be the designer and they don't understand that they're you know last season perfect example um I had a design for fall and everybody I had four people come at me at once and tell me what they wanted in in the collection so that just cornered me like uh, I wasn't able to do it So 
what happened was it wasn't received well. They took their attention off of me to do something else. And while their attention was off of me, I went in and did what I needed to do. And that was a successful project because I, you, you need to be left alone to just think. I think creatively, it's not just about being on the computer and drawing and pulling. It's, you, you need a thought process. Like you just need a moment to think. I think that's part of the creative process. For me, I know but the creative process to me is, is a thought and an idea. And it has to kind of like ruminate in your head for a moment and, and give it a moment. The execution of that idea is the end result of that's the product of your creativity. It's not the creativity itself. Like drawing, I, I can draw all day long. That's not me being creative. It's the mechanics. It's I, I'm skillful at drawing, mm-hmm. but it's the creative mindset to me is what a creative is really about. Yeah. And I think it's more also a collaboration. I would love to work with my associate designer and then love also it. with the artist because I just felt like it made it so much stronger than it just being my vision. So there has to be someone who's spearheading it. There has to be yes. someone who's starting it, who's getting the concept going, who's establishing establishing what the look is going to be. But then it needs to be that collaboration where everybody's kind of throwing input and kind of adding their own little twist on it, whether it's in the artwork or the print or whatever that may be. However, there has to be that one person because then you get heads that are budding and you get different visions and it doesn't work. So you have to have that one person that's kind of directing it and getting it going, getting the concept out there, but then pulling it all together. No, absolutely. I I love a collaboration. I think um, we had said it in in a previous podcast, how it's really, we're, we're good at what we do, but I think that projects can be great when you have that really good team that can work together and really collaborate and take something and look at it from another point of view and make it better. Right. And I think for me, I always said as a designer, I was only as strong as how good my artist was. Because if you're lacking in the art department and it's a struggle and if you have to do your job plus spoon feed or micromanage or tell someone specifically exactly how to do the artwork and where to place it it is just not a good experience and it won't flow no i i fully agree with you so i think we we touched upon the our creative process but i think uh, in the children's wear market, it starts from concept of what we've talked about. And I think we've really just uh, made it a little, we really detailed that our creative process on how we start a project, but there's so much more because I think it goes from creative all the way to production, all the way to the floor. And I think, you know, in, in, a, in a future podcast, we will sit and really talk about once we've designed that project, where does that project go? Like, how does that project of what we've designed, what we put on paper or in the computer, how do we take that and how does it actually get down to the selling floor? Yes. I think that's so awesome. I think, uh, I think that's a lot of information today. Yes. On- <laughs> so that pretty much is our process, how we work through the season and the design. And again, there's typically like we can go on another podcast about the different seasons and how there's spring and fall and how typically there's 
five different trends or themes that the company is working in and that there's a color story for each one of those. And we can discuss that in further detail because we kind of went into our specific process of designing, or I did anyway, but yeah. Well, I think we did because I think and it was it, it was a jumping off point because of our, our uh, painting our painting, cabinets yes. yesterday. So yes. it, I think it really was va- very valid, but I think that uh, there's a lot more to it. It's ju- yeah. this is just like maybe the- next podcast we can talk about the beginning of the season and what that looks like and the information that we're given and how that all is formulated as well. Absolutely, and how you know how long it takes. You know, yeah. we, we always say uh, everybody's like, "Well, you're you're working on you know fall twenty one, yes." Because by the time you design it, by the time you get it in front of the buyers, by the time they choose, by the time you write up all your technical packages and so on and so forth, uh, there's a whole process. It it doesn't, it's, it doesn't happen in a day. So I think there's, there's a lot of information there as well. Yes. I think that's great. Right. Yes. So this was fun. I'm a little exhausted from yesterday. (laughs) I am too. But thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, If you have any questions or would like to ask us anything, you can email us at um, designintervention at gmail.com. And it was great being able to chat about our design process today. Yes. And also send us those ideas. If you have any topic ideas, we'd love to hear about them. Everybody have an awesome week. (laughs) Thanks. Bye. Take care. Bye.